So as I said, kicking off a new series today, it'll be three parts. And so each part of the series will have a kind of standalone topic, but the theme and the title of the series is Let It Go. Kind of a Frozen fan. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I do know every word to the song. Five Daughters. I remember when it first came out, and we took all of them to the theater to see it, and then they sing that song, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is the next three years of my life now. And it was. Um, but the, the, the title of the series is Let It Go. And what do I mean by that? Well, we come into this place, this, this season, Christmas, uh, and it's, it's a holy time. It's a reverent time. We're celebrating the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But let's face it, we all know it, and uh, we can all get caught up in it if we're not careful. This, this thing has been commercialized as well, right? And, and a big part of what we can get sucked into uh, is this whole idea of, you know, getting, and receiving and uh, needing things for ourselves when it's really all about giving and releasing and letting go. And so that's the heart, that's the burden of this series is that there are things in this world that we got to get above as Christians. We got to see them, we got to call them for what they are, and we got to know how to live above them. And these things that tempt us, that try to lay hold of, that they try to get us to lay hold of them, but if we're not careful when we lay hold of them, they actually lay hold of us. And then they begin to guide us in our lives in a very unhealthy way. But if we can see them for what they are and just let it go, keep our hands open and released, hold everything lightly, then we actually begin to live in a place of freedom that Jesus invites us into. Say it like this, travel light. Don't be weighed down with the burdens and the cares of this world. Travel light on your feet, hold things loosely in this world, and aspire only to the things that Jesus Christ wants to bless you with, only the things that Jesus Christ has for you. And so I wanna open the series with a few verses that are kind of like setting the stage for the series. They're not the, the, the verses for the part one message today, all right? But I just wanna take a few minutes in the beginning of this to kind of open it up. And so in Philippians chapter three, I'm actually gonna start in verse seven, but in Philippians chapter three, um, Paul is talking to the people about how uh, they shouldn't view themselves and their accomplishments and the things that they're chasing in this world as of any significant value. He, he kind of talks about reputation, status, image, and uh, he makes this comparison where they feel like they've achieved a lot of great things, whether in the study uh, of the Torah or in the way they follow religious practices or the things that they have, um, you know, kind of the accolades that they've achieved. And he, he makes the comparison. He says, look, I myself was a scholar of the Jewish law. I myself was a teacher. I myself did all of these things. I was from the tribe of Benjamin and considered elite by the world's standards. And he's not bragging. He's just trying to make a, a point to them that says, I've accomplished what the world would consider one of the elite levels that you could get to, and here's what I think about it now that I've found Christ. So let's read verse 7. He says, but what, these, what, things, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. 
Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them, listen to this, as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. So let me say it another way. He's saying, anything that I have achieved, that I have gathered, that I have laid hold of on my own, in my own ability, in my own strength, I'm telling you now that I've seen the light, I'm telling you that that's rubbish. It means absolutely nothing. He says, I've let go of all of that stuff that once had a hold of me. I've let go of all of that to lay hold of something that's greater. And that's Jesus Christ and everything that he has for me. He goes on to say, I couldn't, have, I couldn't have achieved my own righteousness, yet Jesus Christ has given me his righteousness. So I, I think a way to look at that is anything that we could attain by our own merit, strength, and our own humanness is totally insignificant in comparison to what Christ can and wants to give us. It's a huge like contrast when he says everything in this entire world that is material, that's transient, that's temporal, if you could gain the whole thing, but, but you not have Jesus, it's of nothing. But if having Jesus means losing all of that, it, the comparison is infinitely uncomparable. To have Christ and lose everything in the world, think about that for just a second. Lose everything that the world could give you in order to lay hold of Christ. And Paul says it's a no-brainer. It's an absolute no-brainer because that is how significant what Jesus wants to give us is in comparison to what we can achieve in the world. But it's a great deception because the world has an allure to it. And this is the part I'm trying to say where that burden is, is we got to get above that. We got to get to a place where the things in the world don't tempt us, they don't own us. We own and steward the transient resources of this world because we live for a higher purpose, right? You see, it's not bad to have stuff. It's bad when stuff owns you. It's, it's kind of a in irony, right? Jesus says, I want to bless you. I want to prosper you. I, wanna, I want your cup to flow over and overfill. But I don't want any of that to own you. I don't want any of that to have your heart. If it does, then now we've crossed the line. But if you keep your heart right, if you hold it loosely, if you're able to just let it go for the things that I want to lead you into, then I'll pass all the resources through your possession so that you could steward them in a godly way. And that's where I want to live. Amen? So part one today, this uh, particular week, what do we got to let go of? What is one thing we want to dial in on? Number one is the need to have. The need to have. I got to have it. I need it. Can't go without it. The shiny new thing. The latest edition. The latest version. Right, this need to have. The Bible speaks about, there's three words in the Bible that really kind of correlate closely for me, envy, greed, and covetousness. They're very similar. They're used in different places, but envy, greed, 
and covetousness. Envy, I got to have what somebody else has. I want what somebody else want, has. Right? I'm unhappy with what I have. I want what they have. Greed, got to have more, got to have more, got to have more. Never enough, never enough, never enough. And then covetousness is actually when we're willing to do something ungodly to attain something. That's crossing that line, right? You know, uh, when Moses went to select leaders for Israel in Exodus chapter 18, Jethro, his father-in-law, said, you need to select able men from among the tribes, such as who fear God, who love truth, listen to this, and hate covetousness. So to be caught up in covetousness is a disqualification of godly leadership, right? That's kind of an important point, is covetousness, to desire things to the point you're willing to do something ungodly, unhealthy to achieve that. But the commercial society that we live in, it understands this part of human nature. It appeals to it. If we're not careful, we're vulnerable, right? I got to remind myself every month when I get that Bass Pro Shop catalog in the mail. I mean, is anything in there not a necessity, you know? I mean, Black Friday, everything's half off. I, everything in there is a necessity. My weakness. Uh, can anybody go through Rural King and not spend $100? I mean, is that even possible? Right? These things, they... they they appeal to us. They, they tempt us. But listen to what it says in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 27. He who is greedy for gain brings trouble on his own house. Right? It's good to rule over and to steward over the things of this world. It's terrible when they rule over and own us. He says when you're greedy for things, got to have more, got to have more then it actually brings, it, it invites and draws in all kinds of problems and troubles. We're going to learn about a person who drew in a bunch of problems, a bunch of trouble into his own household because enough was never enough for him. And I can't see a better example in all of Scripture than a man named King Ahab. Ahab. He was the epitome, greed, covetousness, got to have more, got to have more, got to have more. And if you think about this, and you'll kind of consider this through the story today, uh, he was the king of Israel. So he essentially had everything you could have, but it was never enough for him. All right, we're going to see that in a story in 1 Kings chapter 21. So let's go there, and I'm going to read, it's, it's actually 16 verses, but it, it's, the story is not really complete if we don't get through these, so let's go through them together. Uh, it came to pass after these things that Nabat, so this is the other main character in our story. You got Ahab and Nabat. Jezebel makes an appearance too. Uh, Nabat the Jezreelite had a vineyard which was in Jezreel. It was next to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. So Ahab spoke to Nabat saying, give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it is near and next to my house. And for it, I will give you a vineyard better than it. Or if it seems good to you, I'll give you its money, its worth in money. But Nabat said to Ahab, the Lord forbid that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. Now let's pause right there for just a second. So Nabat is actually following Mosaic law right here. Mosaic law said that it was uh, against the law to permanently sell off 
ancestral inherited land. That it always needed to go back to the original tribe, to the original uh, ancestry that owned that, okay? So when Nabat says, you can't have my land, he's actually consistent with Mosaic law. Ahab should have known that, actually. But he's not, he's not thinking much about the law. Why? Because he has a desire for something. So verse 4, Ahab went into his house, sullen and displeased. Because the word which Nabat the Jezreelite had spoken to him, for he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And then Ahab lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, why is your spirit so sullen that you eat no food? He said to her, because I spoke to Nabat the Jezreelite, and I said to him, give me your vineyard for money, or else, if it pleases you, I'll give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. He won't give it to me. Honey. Then Jezebel, his wife, said to him, you now exercise authority over Israel. Ooh, I'll tell you there, Jezebel. Arise, eat food, and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Nabat the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with his seal, and sent the letters to the elders and the nobles who were dwelling in the city of Nabat. She wrote the letters saying, Proclaim a fast, seat Nabat with high honor among the people, and then seat two men, scoundrels, before him to bear witness, falsely, of course, against him, saying, You have blasphemed God and the king, and then take him out and stone him that he may die. So the men of the city, the elders and the nobles that were the inhabitants of the city, did as Jezebel had sent to them, and it was written in the letters which she had sent. They proclaimed a fast, seated Naboth with high honor among the people. Two men, scoundrels, came and sat before him, witnessed against him in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth has blasphemed God and the king. And then they took him outside the city, stoned him with stones, and he died. So then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned, and he's dead. He's done. It came to pass when Jezebel heard that Nabat had been stoned and was dead, that she said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Nabat the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Nabat is not alive, but he's dead. So it was when Ahab heard that Nabat was dead, he got up, went down to take possession of the vineyard of Nabat the Jezreelite. Wow. So what you see in Ahab is this thing that we're trying to come against. Something catches his eye, and then it catches his heart. And that's the trick. That's the trap. Catches our eye, then it catches our heart. He reaches this point where he's got to have this thing. He's the king of Israel. He has all this, but it's, it's never enough. Do you know people, or have you ever caught yourself maybe in a spot where you get something and then... You know, you wanted it, you wanted it, you get it, and then all of a sudden, now it's not enough. You want more, right? That should be a red flag. That should be a trigger that, uh uh-oh, wait a minute. Maybe there's something unhealthy in my heart on an attachment to this thing. We also see here that uh, Jezebel says, don't you govern Israel? Aren't you the king? You see the manipulation that's going into this now, right? She's saying, you deserve this. You should give this to yourself. We, we, you deserve this. This needs to be yours. You're the king. Nobody should be able to tell you no. Now, I want you to think about 
commercialism society. I know it kind of sounds like I'm coming against marketing experts. That's not really my point. I just want us to be above, I want our wisdom to, to supersede these things, right? <laughs> Do you ever see these tactics where it says to you, this flashy thing that it runs in front of you or this advertisement, and then it says, you deserve this? Oh, you have, okay. Because I see it a lot. You deserve this. You need to treat yourself. Doesn't matter if you can afford it. Doesn't matter if it's going to bring somebody else pain. You deserve this because you are you. Come on. Come on, treat yourself. And we're like, yeah, yeah. I do deserve that. And this is the trap. This is, this is what Ahab bought. Do you get it? You're the king over Israel. Nobody should tell you no. You should have this. He buys this thing. And if we're not careful, if we believe that lie, we deserve this, what do we deserve? We deserve nothing. Christ has given us everything, and we don't deserve any of it. He says, you deserve this. Or she says, you deserve this. And he buys into it. And then, it, and, and then when he realizes, like, he can't have it, listen, did you catch this part? It says he was sullen and displeased, which means a heavy sadness to the point of resentment. Resentment sets in for whoever has what we can't have. There's a resentfulness towards that. I, I know I've caught myself before. Oh, whoa, I better be careful here. I'm, not, I'm getting a little, I'm not happy for them <laughs> all of a sudden because I don't have what I want, right? That's, that's, those are signs that need to set in for us. He was sullen and displeased, a heavy sadness that was over him. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was out, I like to deer hunt, right? And I was out in my stand and uh, hunting with my bow. And it's a lot challenging, a lot more challenging archery than gun. You probably know that. And so the deer has to get really close before they're in range. And, you know, it's, it can happen really fast. So you got to, the moment happens quick. So I'm sitting in there and I'm paying really close attention. And, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm watching, I'm watching, and then all of a sudden my phone starts like going off, right? What in the world? And so I reach in and I just check my phone, and Katie, back at the house, is she's in there making a bunch of changes to our calendar. We have a shared calendar, so it updates her when I do something, it updates me when she does something, and there's like these major changes that are happening. I'm like, what is she doing, you know? And so I like start searching. I'm like, well, she's moving meetings around. What's going on? And I look, and I'm trying to figure out where, what she's doing and where everything's at. I'm like, oh, okay, finally I realized. And when I put my phone up, I look out. This huge buck just walked right <laughs> through my lane. It was over. I was like, oh, no. Oh, oh, no. <laughs> um, and I came home. And she's like, what's, what's wrong? I, I might have been sullen and displeased. I... <laughs> And I might have been a little bit resentful. <laughs> it's your fault. Messing with that calendar. The peak moment in the evening. Don't you know better? And I prayed a lot about this. I had to check myself. And, and the Lord spoke. And he said, no, this really was her fault, actually. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, sullen and displeased. It's just heavy sadness. And then you see this other characteristic of it. 
other people see it on him. Other people can identify it. We, we, can, we can fight, we gotta take thoughts captive, right? They come in and we, we go through these battles and these things in our mind. But let me tell you a good sign to know when you're losing that battle, when other people begin to see the defeat on you. Because when you wear it, you own it at a new level. And it's all over him. What's wrong, kingy kingy? What's wrong? So sad. I didn't get what I wanted. Right? I'm kind of having fun with this, but the point is, it's all over him. Has it been all over you? Has it been real obvious? It's projecting. That's a, that's, a, that's a dangerous level that we would get to when it's that far along, right? Because it, it's moved from in here, and now it's, it's coming out, and it's all over him. They, they see it on him. And uh, he's laying in bed, and he won't even eat. This thing is really escalated now. Super high level of depression because he can't get what he wants. He can't even eat. He's so sad. Again, he's the king of Israel, yet for this vineyard that he wants to turn into a vegetable garden, he can't eat, he can't sleep, he's in his room, he's probably got the doors locked, he's probably got the dark curtains down, he's probably got bonbons in there, I mean, he is having a pity party, right? And then the final step that this gets to, trap that he falls into, is that now he's enticed to sin. He is enticed into sin that he partakes in in order to lay hold of the thing that he wants so badly. He's willing to be a conspirator in this whole murder. I'll look the other way. I, I, know, it's, I know what's going on. I'm going to look the other way, and as long as I get what I want, it'll be well. Maybe it's not murder for us, but is it compromise? Is it willing to potentially be dishonest? something, budge something a little bit, get a compromise on our character, our integrity, just whatever it might be, a little slant, just to lay hold of that thing that's got a hold of our heart, what we've got to be so on guard against. These emotions, these levels that he's going through that we can go through lead us to a place where it becomes full-blown sin. We're willing to covetousness, do something ungodly to lay hold of the thing that we just got to have. And that's the message today is we got to let go of the need to have. We got to let go of that. There, there's, and I'll kind of give you the, the place that we're going here now in the message as we approach the end today is there's absolutely nothing that we need that cannot be found in Christ. It's the only thing that we are to need is Him. But if we need other things, we've got to have, get sucked into that mentality. It leads us into a place where it can entice us into sinful behavior. But listen to me, it also begins to erode our worship and our intimacy with the Lord. Because it says to him, I want you, but I want something else. Right? And now he's like, wait a minute, I'm not in competition with anybody. I don't compete. This isn't a contest, number one. And so when we get to that place, it begins to erode that intimacy and that, that, erosion, that worship that we want to have with the Lord. Let's jump down to verse 17, and let's see the outcome of this whole thing. Because it doesn't work out the way that old Ahab wants it to. 
He gets the vineyard, but the outcome is catastrophic. Verse 17, so the word of the Lord came to Elijah. So Elijah's the prophet, the man of God. The Lord speaks to him and says, go deliver this message to Ahab now. Now, just peer into this for a second. There was all of this time along the way for Ahab to pull back. No, this isn't right. No, no, no. We, We can't do this. The Lord waited to bring judgment until he he was merciful, and this whole thing played out. And then when the full-blown sin was committed, he says, okay, now you're going to, now you're going to have, you're going to pay the price. So verse 18, arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who lives in Samaria. There he is in the vineyard of Nebat, where he has gone down to take possession. You shall speak to him and say, thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs lick the blood of Nebat, dogs shall lick your blood. So Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you. Listen to this. Because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. He sold himself. He sold his devotion to God, his integrity in everything to lay hold of something that he wanted. He lost a piece of himself in the pursuit of this. That can happen to us. We can lose a piece of who we are when we try to go after something in an ungodly way. Verse uh, 21, behold, I will bring calamity on you. I will take away your posterity. That's his lineage. And I will cut off from Ahab every male in Israel, both bond and free. So there was a price initially that he had to pay. This whole conspiracy, bad enough, right? But he gets the vineyard that he had to have. But the Lord brings judgment on him for his behavior. And he says, okay, now you've got it. But here's what's going to happen. The place where Naboth was killed, where his blood lies, your blood will lie there too. And Ahab ends up getting killed in battle. But his son also gets killed. And they throw his son's body in the field where Naboth was killed. Jezebel gets killed. Point of it. The price was far greater than he ever expected. To achieve the prize. This is what we always end up seeing later on down the road. We look back and we think, man, the price was not worth the price. Right? There's the sticker. You ever see, hey, this can be yours for $99 and it's just one time. Oh, by the way, it's $7 a month plus $3 a month plus $4 a month every month for the rest of your life. <laughs> Whoa, that was actually a lot more than $100. (laughs) There's the initial price, but then there's the real price that we end up paying for the thing we got to have long term. Let me just think about it like this. If if there's something that that flashy new thing, got to have, got to have, right? And we extend ourselves. We go to an unhealthy place to get it. But then think beyond that. Now, this person has to work double time for the next year and a half to have that flashy new thing that's actually rusting in 30 days in the garage. You follow what I'm saying? It's just the long-term 
price many times when we look back. It's like, I never, if I would have known, I would have never paid that price for that price. And the outcome for Ahab is far, it's catastrophic. It's catastrophic. His lineage is removed from the kingship. Devastating. I think even Ahab in his deteriorated state, if he could have really understood everything it was going to cost him, he probably wouldn't have tried to lay hold of that thing. Anything that pulls at our heart, that we have to lay hold of on our own to get. You hear me? God's not giving it to me, so I'll just help God. I'll get, you know, well, God, I mean, he wants to bless me, right? He, he's going to get, and, and sometimes God shows us, like, there's a promise, there's a blessing, there's an opportunity, there's a door that you're going to walk through, there's new things here. And we say, okay, great, yes, God, I'm excited. And then we move along, we think, well, God's not bringing it fast enough. He wants to give it to me, so I'll just help God, and I'll just lay hold of the thing a little earlier. It'll cost me a little bit more to get it now because God's not moving fast enough. This is another area where it can hit us. The blessings of God that are potentially delayed or that have a season of building to fruition, we can be tempted to lay hold of those things too soon and bring them into our life when we had to grab it. The key is anything that God wants to give us, when he releases it, it brings fullness and blessing to our lives. But when we have to grab it and lay hold of it, listen to me what we do. We trade the greater for the lesser. We trade the greater for the lesser. And that's the last little point in this story I want to hit on. It's a, it's a vineyard, right? It, Nabat has a vineyard. Now think about this. A vineyard takes years to establish. You don't just throw vine grape seeds out and then the vines grow and you have grapes the first year. Years and years and years to grow and get mature really before they ever even start producing grapes. Once they start producing grapes and they trim the vines and they prune them and they, they keep treating them, they get thicker and more mature every year. They bring new shoots. Listen, vineyards were passed down to generations. Oh my God, this is so powerful. Vineyards were established by God for longevity and for generations. They passed on because they were so seasoned and so matured. What does Ahab want to do? He wants to lay hold of a vineyard and he wants to tear all of the vines up and plant a vegetable garden. And I began to look at this and study this and I'm like, that's very interesting because the Bible, in many places in the Old Testament, it refers to God's people, Israel, as his vineyard that he cultivates. Wow. And Ahab wants to up, picture him uprooting and tearing all these long-standing vines producing luscious grapes to plant a vegetable garden. I thought, vegetable garden, vegetable garden, where else I heard that? In Scripture, that phrase is only used one other time. And I had to go there and read it and understand what this was really saying. So let's look at that. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 10. The Lord says, For the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come. We all know that one, right? Bondage and slavery. The, the promised land is not like where you just came from. Where you sowed seed and watered it by foot, as a vegetable garden. 
But the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water from the rain of heaven, a land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. Vineyard, vegetable garden. He says, this, is, this land that I'm giving you, these promises and these blessings that I want to lead you into, it's not like what you just came out of. And he, he uses that phrase vegetable garden to describe this thing that they planted that they had to personally irrigate and water and do everything to. Let me say it another way. They were producing this crop. They were producing that in their own strength. He says, that is fine. whatever, you know, that's what it was. But this place that I want to take you, it's not like that. I will water the, from heaven the ground and the crop, and I will bring the blessing up out of the ground for you. You see, Ahab traded the greater. He was willing to trade the greater for the lesser. He was willing to trade what represented the blessings, the favor, the fertility, the fruitfulness and promises of God for the things that he wanted to lay hold of that were the desires that were pulling at his heart in an ungodly way. And see, when we lay hold of things in an ungodly way, gotta have it, gotta have it, gotta have it, and I grab it and I pull it in, what we've done is we've traded the greater for the lesser. Now I've exchanged the thing that only God could have given me and released to me, and I've laid hold of this thing that I say I'm going to produce. And the Lord says, well, you can have that, but I'm just telling you, that's the lesser, and I have the greater. That's powerful. And I think to myself, okay, I don't need anything. I need him in everything that he wants to give to me. And that's the whole point of this story. The sufficiency of Jesus Christ theologically is defined as this. Everything that you need can be found in him. And there is nothing that you need that cannot be found in him. That's the definition of the sufficiency of Christ. And that's the lesson I think he wants us to know. That's the thing he wants us to understand. I have great things for you. And I want to bring those into your life. But if you force them, if you lay hold of them on your own, you're trading the greater for the lesser. I've got wonderful things to give, but I how I say when I produce the outcome I bring the rain from heaven to water that ground you have to water it yourself you got to do it all on your own you got to produce it you got to lay hold of it then you are exchanging the greater for the lesser and when you go through scripture you see that God describes himself and when you when you first read this it's like oh kind of kind of think about that for a second he describes himself as a jealous God about that, right? He says, I am a jealous God. Why is that? Because he has designed us and created us. I'll close with this. He has designed us and he has created us to only need one thing. Him. Him. Paul says to the church, he says, in, in Philippi, he says, I have learned to be fully content no matter what the season of my life looks like. Let me stress the, the term, I have learned. 
because that tells me that we do not have a natural disposition to that place. But I want to learn. And I want to know, and I want to live as if I only need one. Nothing in this world will have me because he alone has me. And when my heart has been won and captured by him, I'll serve no other. And all the temptations of this world that try to tempt, they try to lure, they try to bring at me. My place is to rule over those. My place is to steward those. My place is to never be owned by those. And I pray in this time and in this season that we get a hold of this, that Christ alone is our sufficiency. There is nothing that you need that cannot be found in him. Do not be tempted to lay hold of something that you think you got to have. Let God bring the blessing in his way and in his time. And I promise you, dear brothers and sisters, you will have everything you need at the appointed season. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? And let's pray that, God, you would help us to see this so clearly today. In many ways, it's not something that we can just uh, throw words around in the air. I don't need anything if our heart is not consistent with that. And so it's a hard thing. Things of this world or the things of God. I assure you, according to the written word of God, that he wants to bless you, he wants to prosper you, and he wants to bring no sorrow with that. But do we rule it? Do we steward it? Or does it own us? What maybe today do you need to let go of? There's something you got to have, something that you've allowed your heart to get attached to that you need to let go of. Bring that to God right now. Say, Lord, I see. I see. Thank you for showing me. God, help me to let this thing go. Put it in your hands. Your outcome, not mine. I thank you, Lord, for that. You reign and rule in my heart. Tell him right now, Jesus, I love you, and I don't need anything but you. As long as I have you, I have everything I need. If you're here today and you've never given your heart to Christ, maybe you've never really laid your life down, this whole principle of letting go is so that we can actually, this is the irony, lay hold of something greater. You say, man, I've never given my life to Christ. I want to lay my life down today. I want to make Jesus Lord of my heart. I believe that he suffered and died for me so that I could be saved. I want to know that I'm going to heaven. I want to live with purpose and destiny. I want to live for Jesus and with Jesus that's you and you're ready to make that decision today or maybe you're in another spot you've walked away from Christ you've 
went down a path uh, for months or years, whatever it might be, where you kind of went away from him, you were walking with him at one point, and you just need to get back to that place where you're surrendered in your heart to the Lord, that he's the king on the throne of your heart. Either of those describe you. I just want to lead you in a prayer, one more prayer before we go today. Invite Jesus to set up his reign in your heart and in your life. Say, I need that prayer, Pastor, today. I just want to know who I'm praying with on the count of three while heads are still bowed and eyes are closed. Would you just raise your hand? One, two, three. All over this place. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you, sir. See your hands. Put them down after you raise them. Is there anybody else? says, yeah, today is my day. I need Jesus. There's no turning back. I'm ready to, I'm ready to take this stand. Awesome. Those two, you just say, in your heart, you mean business with God. I give my life to you today. Lord, I invite you into my life to rule and reign. God, I submit, I surrender. Of my will, I submit to yours. Now, would you rule and reign in my life? I lay down my life for you, Lord, that I may have everything that you have for me. Jesus, I believe that you suffered and died on the cross so that I could be saved. You were raised from the grave so that I, too, could be raised from death into eternal life with you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, hallelujah. Well, God is good, isn't he? And he has great things for us exceedingly great and precious promises. Can we stand to our feet? Before we go, just kind of give the Lord praise. Acknowledge His greatness and His goodness over our lives. You're good, good Father. Come on, He's perfect. You are perfect in all of your ways. Perfect in all of your Perfect in all of your ways to us, perfect God. You are perfect in all of your ways. Perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. You're good, good Father. It's who you are.
and I'm loved by you. You're a good, good father. Well, we confess, acknowledge today, Lord, that you are a good, good father, that we have everything that we need in you, that you are our protector, you are our provider. God, you are everything that we need. I pray for each and every one of us that as we leave today, that we would know what it means to be fully satisfied in you, that our hearts would overflow with joy, the fullness of our total satisfaction in having you and knowing you in everything that you have promised us. We thank you for that today. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. May you go in the joy of the Lord. May it be your strength. May you go in the peace and favor of God. May his countenance be upon you, and may he be gracious to you. God bless you, everyone. Have a beautiful day.